as that little video said, a lot of times um, I get on Monday mornings, we talk about what's going on downstairs, and, and you don't get to see it. I mean, these kids hang out time. Um, sometimes it's just packed in that hallway down there with uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers. We try and get the, the younger kids into their classes, obviously. But um, one of the things that we're excited about is a church has an incredible asset, something that is a gift from God that we are all responsible for. You think about it for a second. If you were to kind of sit down and say, okay, what are the things that are most important, as we heard in that story? What is, you know, most important? And you, you might list um, homes and, and you might list some cars or some special treasures that you have, but by far the greatest treasure that we have been given is the ability to impact the generation below us. It's our children and our grandchildren. Anybody who has been a, a parent understands how important it is to have a child and what, you know, to hold that child and to recognize all the potential that is in that child's life. Any grandparent here will also know it's a little easier. You don't have to take care of the kids all the time. But right when you have that child and you hold that grandchild, you look at all the potential and all that God could actually do to that child. And so we as a church and staff recognize that one of the greatest gifts we have is our youth and our children. And so we want to kind of highlight that this morning and talk a little bit about that. I should let you know next week we'll be starting in that series again in Matthew 13, um, and it's titled The Jesus Parables. And Peter Kastner is going to be with us and is going to share why parables, and you'll have a chance to hear that. So I encourage you to come back as we start getting into that series. But this morning, I think it's going to be real important for us to just kind of hear how we can be involved in what God is doing in our youth and in our kids' ministry. So let's pray together and ask God's blessing on this time. Father, I ask that uh, this is not just a discussion as much as it is, God, an opportunity for you to speak to our hearts about our responsibility. For some here, it's to pray. Um, We know that as we give gifts to this, it, it supports this part of our ministry. But we also know, God, there are people here who are serving in youth and children's, and we thank you for them. And there are people here that you are calling to serve in there. So, God, use this time to help us as a body to be more connected to this generation and the gift that you've given us in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to try and do this in this kind of panel thing. Last service, I started getting into it, and then I almost started getting up to start preaching, and then I sat down again and, and tried to stay more in a panel discussion mode. But I do want to start it out by sharing with you, last December 3rd, Wednesday morning, as I was on my way to the prayer time, which I should mention this Wednesday again, at 6, noon and 6, we pray. One of the reasons we set aside the first Wednesday of a month to pray as a church is because we believe that there is incredible spiritual power that takes place through our prayers. The things that happen often in our lives, in, in what happens and what we see in the physical realm, The things of God Jesus taught us are birthed through prayer. And so that Wednesday morning, December 3rd, as I'm driving to church in the dark, and I had just prior to that been reading some scripture in Matthew chapter 19 and was allowing that to continue to just kind of soak into my heart and soul as I was driving to the the church here. And I was thinking about what would I share with this group that was coming at 6 what is it you're laying on my heart, Lord? And as I was praying and thinking about it and meditating about it, I was thinking about that Matthew chapter 19 story, which is where the rich young ruler, this rich young man comes to Jesus 
And he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life and to get eternal life? And Jesus says, you know, follow the laws. He says, I do all the laws. And they have this conversation. And finally, at one point, Jesus is realizing this guy is continually saying, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing... And so finally, Jesus hits him at his Achilles heel. And says, okay, if you really want to inherit eternal life, you want it, you've got to sell everything you have and give it away. And the guy looks at him sad and, and walks away. And the disciples are just like, what? I, they're just lost. They, they can't understand. Here's this guy who follows all the law. He does all these things. He's wealthy, which is a sign of God's blessing. And he's standing for Jesus. And Jesus tells him he's got to do And he can't. And they say, oh, how, who, who can be saved, Jesus? How, how, how does that happen? I mean, I think they're wondering themselves. And Jesus looks at them after they ask that question, and he says, with man, this is impossible. The spiritual things that generate life within our, ourselves is impossible through our efforts. It is a work of God alone. So Jesus makes a statement with man, because this guy was trying to do it all on his own. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So he hits the guy at the place where he had his most pride, where he had his most sense of life, and he said, give that away, and he couldn't because he was not able to understand the truth, that it wasn't in the things that he gave away, but it was in the things that he received from God that gave life. And I was thinking about that. I thought, you know, where's one other spot where it talks about this whole idea of the impossibility, those kind of things where only God can do, where he looks and he says, with God all things are possible. And I just got my way to church, and I'm, I'm thinking about this Christmas season, and I think immediately of the story of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. And this angel comes and says, Mary, you're going to have the Christ child. You're going to, you're going to give birth to the one that everyone in Israel has been waiting for. And, and she looks at this angel, not in doubt, but asks the question in a sense of wonder, what, I'm a virgin, how, how will that happen? And, and Gabriel, kind of bolstering her faith, because it was not a question of a lack of faith, it was more a question of understanding. Gabriel says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and, is, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. And then he adds these words, for nothing is impossible with God. In a sense, don't worry about the details. Keep your eye on my promise and my ability to fulfill the things that I say I will do for you. And as I was thinking about that, I thought immediately of the same situation that occurred with Zechariah. Gabriel came to Zechariah. He Tell Zechariah as well that you have been praying for a child and guess what? Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a child. But his response is different. His response is not one of wonder, oh yeah, how that's going to happen, God? Because Elizabeth, you know, she's really, you know, she's past the point of having kids. You would think Zechariah, of all people, would, would get this because he was a priest. He was a seasoned follower of God. He had read and understood this great treasured story of Abraham and Sarah. God had done it before. 
And so when you think about Zechariah, here's a guy who'd been around the things of God for a long time. As a priest in that land, they would divide the land in 24 sections. There would be 24 orders of priests. And those priests would two times a year go down to Jerusalem where they would be the ones responsible for the care and the offering of the sacrifices. Well, it just so happens that this was one of the times that Zechariah was down there, and Zechariah was actually chosen to be the person to go into the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifice. Because there were so many priests, not every priest would have that opportunity. And because it was to be something only done once in their life, if you got your number called, you were really a person considered to be blessed. So think about it. Everything's set up for him. He walks into the Holy of Holies. Gabriel is there. You would think the man of God, seasoned in faith, follower for so many years, would go, wow, yeah, I get it. Yes, Sarah, okay, wow, incredible. You mean my wife is going to... And he doesn't. He looks at the angel and says, give me a sign, prove it to me almost. It wasn't a question of wonder how you're going to do it. It It's more a question of, I don't believe it. And so the angel still says it's going to happen, but causes him to be um, unable to speak until he gives the name of the child to the baby. So for a number of months, God actually seals his lips so he can't speak, I believe, doubt into the whole situation. Now, why am I telling you all this? You have two people. Angel comes to him. Same angel. Same impossible situation. One just old, too old to have a baby, one too young. Requires the same faith. Both have incredible potential for impact. And they respond differently. And I thought about it for a second. I thought, you know, the one you would think should respond in that way didn't. But the one who is young and and naive and idealistic and heart is open and and willing and excited and here's the fact that God is going to do something incredible, just says, well, how? And when she hears how, her response is, here I am. Do whatever you want to do through me, God. And as I was bringing this to this group and we were praying for it, one of the things we started praying for, we started praying for our children and our youth in this body. Because... It's easy for us who get older to become a little jaded around the things of God, right? You know, the people who should really have the faith and the ability to believe in what God can do through His Holy Spirit, which He gives us promises that seem to be impossible, that God can do them. It should be us, but sometimes it's not the case. But you know what? It hit me and it hit us as we were praying. We have a whole 250 or more potential Mary's and Joseph's downstairs. What incredible responsibility. What a great gift as I look at this coming year. And as we prayed for that in December, as we pray for it now, God, we ask that you would do something in our hearts as people to create and to kind of create the kind of womb that would give birth to those kind of experiences, those kind of desires being fulfilled in our kids. So, with all that, Sarah, who heads up our children's ministry, uh, specifically, um, you, why don't you share the ages and, and tell us how you plan to do that? Well, um, as the kids pastor, I oversee um, birth through fifth grade, um, and it's a big job, but thankfully I have Lindsay there as well um, to do that work. 
But one of the things that we know is that um, we know that the fact is most kids form their entire concept, their idea of who God is and whether or not they're going to have a relationship with him before they leave fifth grade. And we can't do that on our own. Lindsay and I are talented, I believe, but that's not something that we can do alone. That's why our biggest job is to equip our parents so that they can do that. And we can come alongside them to partner with them in building up a generation of kids that have a, an alive, a thriving, a real authentic relationship with Jesus. So in, in, in doing that, um, give us some example. How do we do that? I and mean, what does that look like? Well, one of the things that we do is we, um, we have programs that are specifically focused on what we call the orange, orange strategy or the orange concept. Um, the color orange is created through mixing two primary colors, um, red and yellow. And the red in this concept represents the heart of the family. And the yellow represents the light of Christ, which is the church. Now, combined, these two influences have a much greater impact together than they ever would alone. But the church can't do what the church does and the family does what the family does. For that concept to work, we, we have to work together. The strategy has to be that we're all doing the same thing at the same time with that same strategy, and then our impact is much greater. So I think about it, Sarah, when um, a lot of times we have this concept, and maybe it comes from the way it is in our secular life, in the sense we send our kids off to school, and they're going to be educated by those school teachers and by the public sources or private sources that we entrust our kids to. And they'll come back and they'll know math and English and things like that. So is there this sense, though, when you talk about this, I think sometimes parents feel like, well, we're going to send our kids to Sunday school and then they'll come back and they'll know the Bible stories. And it's really on your shoulders right. to make sure these kids grow up to be the way they should. What, what's yeah, well, I shared during the first service, um, it came to mind, Lindsay and I had gone to um, a conference and we had heard a speaker uh, share something in relation to family ministry. And I thought it was really poignant. They said, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if kids came to church and I would stand up on the stage and say, what did you learn at home this week? Instead of kids going home and the parents saying, what did you learn at church this week? Two totally different ways of yeah. looking at it. A little scary, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're wondering what stories they will tell. But no, but I mean, it seriously is kind of what, as we start looking at uh, our responsibility and, and what we're really praying for, is we're praying for a church that brings these generations together in such a way that you're not responsible, but with the families and then with the family of the body of Christ here as they serve in different areas, we come together to assist the families and the homes to do the thing God's called them to do. Yeah, and I thought this was interesting too. Somebody had pointed out um, out in the lobby in between the services that it was one thing that she wished we would have shared in our panel today was how important it is as a parent, she saw having all generations involved with her kids, mm -hmm. that this isn't, this isn't just a message to parents of a preschooler working with preschoolers or a parent of an elementary student working with elementary students, that she values, because we're a multi-generational church, she values her kid getting wisdom from a variety of different age groups. Right, right. Well, you know, that's interesting. And, you know, the second service is getting much more than they got first service. Yeah. So Sorry to the first service. Whatever people. you paid to get in here today, you're getting your money's worth. No, you say that, and I think it's really interesting. I've been reading some things um, on 
on multi-generational ministries, which is becoming a, a something that many churches are saying, how do we do this, and moving away from this mono kind of uh, view of, uh, of, of ministry. What, what I found is really interesting, and this is more with your age, middle school and senior hires, is they said one of the most important things that kids who are in senior high, 13 years on, on up, one of the things that they had in responses often in churches is that, is that some older adult knew them by name and saw them and when they came into church would greet them. That had one of the greatest impacts in their lives. And that was just one of the things that came out of that. So they didn't do that first service either. But yeah. Lindsay, you know, usually I have you come up here when, when, we're, when we're in need of people in the nursery. And you do an incredible job of crying and making a plea. And, and, and they look at Lindsay and they go, man, we got to help her out. Or not. Or not. <laughs> but, you know, I'd like you to do something different. I'd really love for you to share what God has placed on your heart around all this, if you would. And I'd just like to thank um, all of you in this church body that do serve. I think there are tons that don't even just serve for me. Um, there are people that usher and greet, people that lead ministries, people that even participate in ministries. We don't thank you guys enough for the part you play. I know that oftentimes your lives are changed more than ours are. But I just want to mention a quick thank you to all those of you that do um, dedicate your life to this church body. On a particularly bummer of a Sunday, we always have staff meeting on Mondays. And one Monday I was once again discouraged um, about the Sunday and staffing and the stress that goes with my job. And a wise coworker just said to me, you know, Lindsay, this isn't about you. And as a person prone slightly to narcissism, I struggled a little bit, a little bit with that. And she said, you know, Lindsay, you really need to pray about that because this is not about nursery workers. It's about a bigger issue. And I, so I said, okay, and I took it before God. And I just said, God, what? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I've been in this job for three years. And, he, and God always provides. He's always very faithful. Um, but I'm still feeling this discouragement. And all I received back was family. And I said, okay, whatever, family, we got it. Does that mean I make the parents do it? What does that look like? Um, and is struggling for Christmas Eve. The day before Christmas Eve, a man called me on the phone. And he said, you still need help for nursery for Christmas Eve? I said, yes, of course I do. <laughs> and he said, and I said, thank you so much. This is such an answer to prayer. And he said, well, you know, Lynn, we're all in this together. And I just would like to encourage you that the church is a family. And it's not about families, appearance of the children. It's about the church body. And we all have our gifts. We all have our strengths and our weaknesses. We've got the crazy uncles. We've got the people that irritate us. <laughs> And we've got people in a place of brokenness and people in a place of health. And I would like to encourage us as a church to, if you're feeling in a place where you're great, to give. And if you're play, feeling like you're in a place where you're in need, that you can come and receive. And I would just like to encourage you to pray about what God would have you do. And I think that even in our brokenness, we can serve. And sometimes that's when God touches us most, when we're before God crying and saying, I don't know what to do. And God is able to work with all of us. And I would just like to encourage you to ask God what he would have you do, whether that's serving in the nursery, that's great, um, whether that's participating in a Bible study, whether that's hanging with middle schoolers or greeting somebody by name. I think it can be small things, big things, and that we all matter, and God created us all very special. And I just want you guys to know that you're all special to God and special to this family. Now, i got to tell you, Lindsay's also learning to preach, so she'll be up here. <laughs> I, just, I love that appeal. Hebrews 10.25. Look that up. It's really good. Good. Oh, you know what? I have to say, um, 
I really have fun with our staff, and it's been fun to start to get to know Bruce and Matt, who are the newest ones on staff. Matt, you heard, share his testimony. He works with senior high. Um, Matt is part-time, and Bruce also part-time. Bruce is going to seminary. And uh, Kevin Campbell oversees all of the youth ministry, but we are so thrilled with the with who God has given us and, and you two guys. And, and I, I have to say, think about it. Middle school ministry is one of the hardest ministries. I was once in sixth and seventh grade, and um, I didn't tell this for service, but I remember uh, I had a teacher in sixth, seventh grade, who, and I talked incessantly, and like now, and um, and I I was I think one of the toughest persons for my my teacher. My dad was a pastor, so you know so it's really hard sometimes to. I think disciplined the pastor's kid, but he was so upset. He looked at me. He goes, he goes, shut up, funny face. And I, I mean, I'm going to this guy. Look, and I, I was like, I must have really done something to get this guy upset. But the reason I bring this story up is I know sixth and seventh grade kids are full of boundless energy, and it takes special people to to minister to them. And so, give us an idea of why and how you're in this place and doing what you're doing. Sure. Well, I'm Bruce, uh, for those of you that uh, have not met me yet. And uh, I have been here since June working with the middle schoolers of this church. And I have just been loving it and, and enjoying every minute of it. And how I got here is is a really cool story. And to give you the full picture, I actually want to back up and, and tell you, I grew up in Brainerd, and I grew up at Lakewood Free Church, which is actually in Baxter, uh, which was a couple hours north of here, and uh, that, and that's where I grew up. And my parents were heavily involved in the church, and I grew up with that in my background, you know. And I was the I was the kid whose family showed up um, an hour before the service. We were in our seats, and uh, we watched the pastor come in from the parking lot, and we were there an hour uh, an hour ahead of time, which was a real bummer for me in in middle school because. <laughs> We had an 8 a.m. service, which means I was getting up at 6, and that's just not a good thing for me. But I grew up with this model of being involved in ministry, and my parents were always serving. My parents, and in fact, they still do. And they were always serving, they were always doing ministry in some form or another. And, and I grew up with that as a model, and my dad actually turned to me when I was, when I was younger, and he said, Bruce, someday I think that uh, God's going to put you in, in, in some sort of ministry as a vocation. And I said, Dad, there's no way, no way that God is going is to put me in a, in, in a church or in some kind of vocational ministry. No way. I don't, I don't want to do it. And, you know, God has a funny sense of humor because here I am. And, and I grew up with, with that as, as the model with my dad going, Bruce, I really think this is something God's, God's calling you into doing. And, and, forcing me to get involved in, in serving in the church. And I started out as a, as a volunteer in the nursery, and I, and I ushered later on. <laughs> yeah. And I, I ushered later on uh, in, in my church as I grew up. And finally, as a kid, I went to camp one summer, and I had a counselor by the name of Jeff. This was at Camp Shamanah, for those of you that are familiar with it. And I had a counselor named Jeff, and he built up all week this game called Guckball. Hey, later this week, we're going to play Guckball. We're going to play Guckball. Later this week, it'll be, it'll be awesome. And he built it up. And, and none of you know what Guckball is because he made it up. But it's kickball with an obstacle course and mud all mixed together. <laughs> and 
And he built it up saying, hey, we're going to play duck ball. We're going to play. And I was getting excited because mud and kickball and obstacle, three things that are on my top, you know, favorite things in life when I was in sixth grade. That's it right there. And he built it up all week. And finally the day came where it rained because it has to rain. And it rained and we were, we were stoked and we went out for our, for our, our cabin time to play duck ball. And I was the first one up, and I kicked it, and I got onto first base, which happened to be on top of several picnic tables. And I get to first base, and and the next guy gets up, and he kicks the ball, and it's like halfway across the field, and there's like nine bases I have left to go. And so I run down the picnic table through second, third, fourth base, and at fifth base, which happened to be between two trees, I twisted my ankle. And I twisted it bad enough that I couldn't run. I couldn't hardly walk. And I just sat there going, this is it. Jeff is going to look at me and he's going to go, you have wrecked my game. <laughs> go and sit over there and be quiet because you are done. We are going to finish this game. And Jeff came over to me and he said, you know, let's get you down to the nurse's office. And he picked me up and he carried me down. And that blew my mind. You know, why would somebody miss out on duck ball? <laughs> You know, and, and he carries me down there, and the nurse says, you're going to have to leave it elevated for a little while. And, I, and he carried me back up the hill to my cabin and uh, sat with me through free time. Which, again, I was like, who skips free time? <laughs> but it made an impact on me because I realized that Jeff cared about me. And I realized that Jeff cared about me enough that it motivated me to go, you know what, someday I want to be a camp counselor. I want to be a camp counselor just like Jeff. And it led me into volunteering at Camp Shaman. And I ended up volunteering there for six years. And I did everything on staff, and I loved it. And it was through that experience that I started to go, you know what? I love working with students. I love being there, and I, I loved being a camp counselor, and I loved working on the waterfront, and I loved being the chapel speaker. And it was great. I loved it. And I thought, God, you're calling me into camp ministry. Obviously, this is great. And I was I was sitting in a in a van and I was riding with with my mentor and uh, at the time and I, w- I was talking with him and and I'd felt this you know maybe this is this maybe my dad was right and this is my call into vocational ministry and so I turned to him and I said I think God's calling me into youth ministry and and I, I won't I'll never forget this he turned and I told other people this in my life you know my parents and stuff and everybody responded the same way oh that's really nice um, and he turned and he looked at me and he goes really how I had no answer for him so I, I threw out the cliche because I feel the Holy Spirit leading me no one can argue with it so I threw it out there <laughs> I, I, I said that to him and he goes really why I had no answer again. And he made me wrestle through. If you feel called to ministry, you've got you to figure that out. And he challenged me to get more involved. And I started volunteering uh, with my church at home in youth ministry. And I started looking for opportunities to serve in, in youth ministry. And I started going out to camp in the off-season to help with the retreats. And I, I, I started getting more involved and seeking out, is this what, what God's leading me into? And, and I had uh, just a, a great time with that, that, and I really felt like this just affirmed that God was calling me to camp ministry. And I ended up going to college down here at Crown College, which is just in St. Bonifacius nearby, and uh, was really went into youth ministry with the intent of, this is my inroad to working at a camp. 
And, and I told God when I started this, and this is a mistake, by the way, just throwing this out there as a warning as well. I told God that I would do a youth ministry degree, but I would, number one, not serve in a church. And number two, that church would not be in a suburb. <laughs> and, I, and I told him that, and, and uh, he ignored me. And, but it was through that experience at, at Crown and, I, and through the training I got there that I began to see that God has a passion for the church. And it was in my, my first year at Crown that I met uh, Jill Dejewski from this church. And she recruited me to volunteer with the middle school group here. And, and that turned out to be just a great experience. And I loved it. And I loved being here and with the students. And it, again, just encouraged me to, to, to work and serve in the church because that's what God uses. That's his tool to reach the world is the church. And, and, and I volunteered here and ended up meeting my wife in the middle school group here at this church. And... Uh, Loved every minute of it and, and have felt this and just God kept bringing me back to the middle school group and he kept bringing me back to middle school ministry. And I look at middle school ministry and I'm so passionate about it now because all of these changes in my life and all the times that God moved, it centered around middle school ministry. It happened to me when I was in middle school or he called me into middle school ministry or I developed my passion for serving in the church in the middle school group here at this church. And I just see middle school as the time when students develop into the people that they're going to be. And the, the person you are in middle school determines the person you're going to be in high school. The person you are in high school determines who you're going to be as, in your college and, and beyond. And middle school is such a, a huge pivotal point. And I love the boundless energy, and I love the, the crazy, weird, goofy Everything, I, you know, I met my wife in the middle school ministry here, and we went on our first date, and the next event was a, a dinner for the middle schoolers, and I shaved two mohawks into my head, <laughs> um, one down each side of my head, and that was after my first date with my wife, and I, I almost didn't get a second date, and, you know, she just, and she's told me this later, she looked at me and was like, what am I doing with him? But I love that stuff, and I love the energy and the craziness, and, and I'm so passionate about middle school because it's such an important time of life. Yeah. You know, I, when we were looking for someone in, in middle school ministry, my number one criteria was someone who is crazy and loves kids, and they love Jesus. And I am as surprised, I know as Mike and others, as we went through this process, the elders, um, how God led us back to someone who you already had an impact in your life and provided a wife for, Bruce. And so we are just thrilled. And I, I just wanted you to have an opportunity to see the staff that is at work within this body and just, just to hear from them the passion they have. And I have to say, this is not about some staff. This is, again, about us as a body. Um, you can be 70, 50, 30, and... And you may be called by God to help in this ministry, in this area. Because, folks, this is such a crucial time. I believe one of the charges that God placed in my heart when I came here was not just multi-generational and that we learn what it means to be a family in worship, in leadership, and serving, but that we learn this, that this group of Children and youth coming up are, are such an important generation as they hand it off then to the next generation. So what we do right now is incredibly important as we reach this next generation.
When I was doing this message, the first one in December on, on Generations, Matthew 1, remember you went through and it's just you go begat, 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 you read all these things. The thing that hit me, and I didn't share it in that message there, was how God loves to work through generations. But one of the key things about the family and the generations one after another is always the handoff. It's like the baton. You know, you, you, you handle that. If you think of that relay race and, and how critical it is, and if you mess up that, that handoff, it messes up the whole entire race. I believe we're in a really important time in our church, and I think in America as well. And I believe God has us specially in his hand in the way that he wants to do something through us and through this community and beyond. I believe God is setting us up for a work that he wants to do, and I believe part of it's going to be in this next generation that he's raising up. And I thought of this as I was praying about this and saying, God, how do you want to have us start this new year? What is it you want us to be really keeping our focus on? And we get a lot of, there's a lot of good things, but what is one important thing that we as a body here in this church need to focus on? And, and his, his, his word and his heart to me was, Let's provide an environment. Let's be a group of people that raises up a bunch of Marys and Josephs. That's a challenge to us because a lot of us can be more like the Zacharias. It's real easy. But I pray that we begin to raise up an environment and we set that environment. And in the homes, in your homes, we start to say, God, we are open to whatever you want to do. Mary has an angel comes to her and says this incredibly Impossible thing. Never done before. Zacharias at least had been done before. And she responds in this childlike innocence and naivety and idealism and in this heart that's just precious, open before God and says, whatever, you do it. And I'm praying we'll be that kind of cradle as well in the sense that we will hold the hearts of these Marys and Joseph's. And you know what? You can be 70, 50, and 30 and still have that heart. But there's something that makes it a little easier when they're younger. And that's a, that's a great thing to steward. I, um, I, you know the song we sang at the end here, How Great Is Our God, by Chris Tomlin? Chris Tomlin has written some incredible songs. Amazing Grace, which he combines with My Chains Fall Off. He, he's taken some of these songs and he's combined them with great hymns and, and they've just been arranged in a way that they release people in worship. He's written the song Indescribable, Our God is Greater, which is one of my favorites these days. Um, Your grace is enough. We fall down. Here's what he says about his own experience. God got a real hold of my life when I was about 14 years old. And I remember getting on my face and saying, God, whatever it is you want me to do for the rest of my life, that's what I want to do. And I meant it with all my heart. This is a 14-year-old. Listen to these words again. This is my prayer as a church. This is our heart. This is my prayer for each and every individual in this, in this church. If I could look you eye to eye, every person, I would say, this is what my prayer would be. That we would look to the Lord and say, God, whatever it is you want me to do for the rest of my life, that's what I want to do. And he says, it was never, God, would you please make me a musician? 
I want to really write songs. I really want to be on stage, which he's done all these things and has all kinds of notoriety for it. He said it was it was merely God. Here I am. I am just available to you and open to you whatever you want me to do. And from that simple prayer as a 14 year old God, God began to move mountains and has opened his ministry to impact thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. I'm going to ask us if we just pray. Father, it is a good time of year to stop and to evaluate. We can make all kinds of resolutions. I'm not about here making another resolution. I'm more wanting you, Holy Spirit of God, to come right now into the heart of any person that just wants to open their heart and say, I don't get it, whatever you want to do, I, with a sense of wonder, will listen and respond so that this that you place on my heart I will do with all my heart as I serve you in this life. Father, I pray that you would allow for our people, our homes, to have these kind of hearts of 14-year-olds, these kind of Mary and Joseph hearts that are idealistic and naive enough to believe that you can do what's impossible. It is so easy for us over time to limit you. And God, I pray right now that you would remove all limits on this body. And this body, as we stand before you with all the generations, God, we come and we say you are faithful to do what you've called us to do. So God, lead us into this great calling. Father, raise up among us Mary's and Joseph's to be able to do what you have called us to do. And help us, God, to stand around each and every person to walk out what you've placed in their heart. And so I pray especially as we end here. I pray for our youth, for Kevin and Matt and Bruce and for Lindsay and Sarah and Cindy and others who all serve within this ministry of children and youth, that God, would you bless them this year, that there would be responsive hearts. They would have just volunteers who are led by you and that, God, you would do a mighty and great work in our midst, in this generation that's coming up. For the sake of your church, for the sake of this country, and for the world. God, now as we come to take communion, it's an again an acknowledgement that we can't make this happen. What is impossible with man is possible with God. You even provided the meal of our salvation. You, Jesus, are the one we feed upon. And so, God, we come to you again and thank you for the grace and forgiveness and goodness that you give us to this representation of our life with you through communion. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.